Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Cards, Dodgers. Man, that is how you do it. That's how you play a wild card game. That Yankees-Red Sox buzzkill was a total letdown. Cards, Dodgers, though, tense as hell. Back in the day, purists would push back hard on the wild card. But that's exactly why you have that. For a night like that, for a game like that, that was badass. Badass. And that's not just, quote, Dodger Jim talking. Because per usual, I did not have a dog in that fight. Honestly. Did not have a dog in that fight. Didn't have a dog in that fight. But that was just a tense, badass, high stakes, survive in advance, loser go home, one-off. In other words, good bleep. Really good bleep. Now, having said all that, and I loved it, let's not get this part of it twisted. There is some absurdity in a 106-win defending champ having to play a one-game elimination, which I'll get to in a second. But for right now, I'm okay with it because there were a few amazing moments from that game, starting with Chris Taylor getting nice on this ball. On two and one, Taylor. Fly ball to left and deep and done! Chris Taylor, a walk-off home run. The Dodgers are walking off to San Francisco. They win the wild card, three to one. Here comes Taylor to the plate. They are mobbing him. The crowd is going crazy. The Dodgers advance to the National League Division Series with one mighty swing by Chris Taylor. Walk it off, big man. Walk it the hell off. Two outs, bomb in the ninth, home run to win in October. I mean, essentially, is that not what almost every single kid dreams of? Every single person who has ever picked up a bat has imagined doing that. We've all done that in our backyard. Dude just did it on the big stage. Chris Taylor just lived it. Justin Turner had told Trey Turner this. You know, you haven't really felt Dodger Stadium until you're here for a playoff game. I was like, just wait till you you see a homer to see how loud this place gets. And then, obviously, it doesn't get much louder than than that swing, the walk-off homer. You see, uh, you know, the fans going crazy, beers going, flying, uh, everything on the field after the game. You know, just for 50,000-plus to be screaming, jumping on their feet. Man, that is the stone-cold truth, right? Because that place did get loud. It got loud, but it also got really quiet. Quiet enough to hear a pin drop every time the cards leathered up to get out of a tough spot. And loud as hell then when Taylor jumped ship. Like, I'm not going to say that that is the most dramatic home run in Dodger history, but it's right up there. And the fact that it came from Chris Taylor with Cody Bellinger on base is pretty insane. Because Bellinger has gone through one hell of a year. A bad year. A year that included him hitting a buck 65. Yet somehow that guy got on base three times and was able to get on base when it mattered most. And then he was followed by Taylor, who had been slumping nearly as badly. A guy who's come through so many times on the big stage for the Dodgers that he wasn't even in the starting lineup. That's how badly he had been going. 
I mean, evidence, sure, of their incredible depth, but also evidence of how badly Taylor had been going of late. This dude had been 8 of 72, but when it mattered most, my man, my man was like rat on cheese. He was one for one. Never mind eight for 72. My man was like a rat on Gouda. Bam! Run that back again, Alvy. Reyes fires. Swing and a drive. Deep left field. This is way back. Walk him off. Chris Taylor. No, clones. The family's not coming back. But I'll tell you what is. A reset of this. My reaction when I saw that had nothing to do with what you wanted it to do with. No. My reaction when I saw that was three simple words. Balls. Ball don't lie. That ball don't lie. That cheese don't. Urgh, that ball don't lie. Be- <laughs> because the Dodgers had to win that game. That's why that ball don't lie. The Dodgers had to win that game. And not because I'm a Los Angeles native. Not because Dodger Jim, quote unquote, was in the house. Not because I was rooting for them. Definitely not because of that. But because ball don't lie. And the reason ball don't lie is it would have been the dumbest thing ever for a team to win 106 games in the regular season and then not actually get into the postseason. Like, I know the wild card game is technically the postseason, but it's a one-game elimination, so it really is not the postseason. It's a play-in game. They just had one of the most amazing regular seasons ever in baseball, and yet they had to participate in a glorified playing game. It was a great glorified playing game, but a glorified playing game nonetheless. They won 106 games, and then they had to beat a 90-win team just to get into the main event. That's dumb. Dumb as hell. Legitimately one of the dumbest things ever. And if they did get bounced, every moron would have been coming for Dave Roberts too. Even dumber. The only thing dumber than all of this is the fact that a 106-win team now has to play a 107-win team in the next round. The Giants have had one of the best seasons ever. And what's their reward? They have to play another team that had one of the best regular seasons ever. Meanwhile, look at Atlanta in Milwaukee just rolling on into the division series. Atlanta finished 18 games back of the Dodgers, yet they get ushered right into the best of five game series. 18 games back of LA, and it's like, hey, cut the line. Let's get some bottle service for y'all. You guys finished a few games over 500 in a crappy division. Right this way, gentlemen. You should get a five game series. Well, the team that won 106 games should have to play another game against a badass, red-hot team and have to beat them to get in. You know, I'd say make that make sense, but you can't make that make sense. So let me be very clear about what I'm saying. This is not about me being a Los Angeles native or being from SoCal or being, quote, Hashtag Dodger Jim. You sound like a homer. I want to be very clear about this because I'm Dodger Jim. I'm for anything that's interesting to talk about. 
I'm saying that after the Dodgers won. But the fact that L.A. won last night spared Major League Baseball some serious, serious embarrassment. I mean, I know they want to reward division winners over wild cards, but this really is idiotic. So it's a damn good thing that Chris Taylor did what he did because he gave us that moment and he spared Major League Baseball some utter embarrassment and it led to another amazing moment. One of my favorite moments, a shirtless, red-assed Max Scherzer struggling with the audio in his headset on the post-game show, which was incredible. Yeah, K-Long told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> I can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> Scherzer, dude, you are the best. That is so awesome. What do we have here? A guy who's a member of the 3,000 Strikeout Club, a World Series champion, first ballot Hall of Famer, and yet that right there might have been the finest moment of his entire career. I mean, you know how it is when people get on a mic in a stadium and they sound like they're all inebriated and hammered and then they blame it on the echo in the stadium? You know, like the president of Michigan back in the day. Who will ever forget her act? Quite uh, explain to me what this would be all about today. <laughs> I thank you so much. Yeah, Kalon told me a couple of days ago. You gotta get rid of this echo. It's the tradition of Michigan. The great coaches that we have at Michigan, the great athletic directors that we have at Michigan. She was so proud. You're going to blame that on the echo. The echo excuse is always so weak. So weak. And in this case, Scherzer didn't go with that. He was hearing an echo. But then he was like, you know what, man? I'm drunk. Whatever. Can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. (laughs) She should have done that. I'm so proud. I'm drunk. I can't talk. Whatever. Like, how much more do you respect Scherzer for owning that? (laughs) Hey, man, this echo is like, eh, I'm drunk. Whatever. I love that. Oh, and shirtless, too. Shirtless. And then again, you talk red ass, and I mean that in the best possible way. How badly did that guy want that last night? Again, this guy's accomplished everything you could ever want to accomplish in a major league career, and he's still out there hungry as hell. Still out there, the ultimate red ass, the ultimate badass, the ultimate competitor, to the point where he didn't have a night where he had his best stuff. Yet when Dave Roberts came out to get the ball, he looked like he wanted to fight the manager. Like he didn't even give him the ball. You see how that went down? Roberts went to get his starter with two on and one out in the top of the fifth, and Scherzer would not give him the ball. Roberts extended his hand to ask for the ball, and Scherzer shook his hand instead. So Roberts had to take the ball out of the glove. I mean, what a baller move by Max. Springing out of the Dodger dugout is Dave Roberts, and he's trying to take the ball. Scherzer shakes his hand, and Scherzer's out. Boy, this is a move here. 
that is going to be talked about. We talked about it. He did not want to give him the ball. Shook his hand. And he doesn't like to be touched. <laughs> Scherzer's out. Dave Roberts is going to turn it over to his bullpen. Yeah, and how many of you are just tripping? And how many of you haters could not wait for that to blow up in his face? I even got a few buddies who were like texting me, No! What a move by Dave Roberts. Because you knew the moment that he got to the top step of that dugout that folks were going to be coming for him. If he turned it over to the bullpen and they blew it, idiots would be screaming for Dave Roberts to be fired for taking Scherzer out. But here's the thing, and I know I'm in the minority, but I'm right. I'm right. Here's the thing. It was the right call. And not just because they won. Fact is, Scherzer did not have his best stuff. Not even close. He was grinding all night long from the very beginning. He was already closing in on 100 pitches. And the lineup was now going to see him for the third time in the game, a game where he did not have his best stuff. So, Roberts went to the bullpen. He went to jungle legend Joe Kelly, who came in and was dirty. Fielder's choice to third, and then this punch out to end the inning. Full count. Do it again. Runner goes. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Joe Kelly curved him to death. Hell yes. Love Joe Kelly. I love Joe Kelly. Yeah, of course, you're Dodger Jim. No, I just love Joe Kelly. Huge moment. And no, it did not vindicate the manager. It did not redeem the manager's decision. It was the right decision regardless of the outcome. At some point, people are going to have to admit that the guy who averages 100 wins per season, has three pennants, and a World Series ring, maybe knows a little bit about what he's doing. Maybe someday, some of you will finally give Dave Roberts some respect. And speaking of respect, I don't want to leave out the Cardinals because they played their asses off last night. They played some of the most clutch baseball you're ever going to see just to get into that game. And while I'm sure they're kicking themselves over their inability to hit with guys in scoring position, their defense last night was unreal. Like nearly every single inning, if they had to make a huge play to get out, they made a huge play to get out. And Adam Wainwright at 40 was an absolute horse on the mound. We didn't win, but we came in here and made them real nervous, didn't we? Hell yes. Hell yes, you did. We've got a phrase for that in horse racing. They ran a winning race. Sometimes you run well. You run well enough to win. You just don't because the other horse is, quote, on the muscle. The other horse is just too good. You run a race like that, and it's good enough to win on almost any other track against any other horse on any other day. That was the cards last night. They ran a winning race. They just ran to somebody who was a little bit better. And now the Dodgers are going to run into Frisco. An amazing matchup. And one that frankly should be for a spot in the World Series. But because MLB is MLB, it's not. It should be, but it's not. Just as it should be a best of seven, but it's not. But here we are. Here the bleep we are. Here we are. Here the f*** we are. And I want to make another point about my guy Dave Roberts. Can't say enough about how brass it was for him to go out to the bump to try to take that pill away from Max. We all know how red-assed Max gets, even under the best of circumstances, in a good way, in a good thing. Remember, Dave came on the show a couple of weeks back and talked about the mistake he made when he 
patted Max on the buttocks while things were rolling. Of course, you got Max Scherzer. We know he's going to compete. Is that a funny story? <laughs> I pride myself on communication with our players, but I obviously didn't get a memo that when he's pitching, you don't touch him. So <laughs> right. as I patted him on the behind uh, a, a few times coming down the steps in New York, then under his breath, it's don't effing touch me. And then so the players are dying laughing. And he's like, I don't need to get rewarded or patted on the butt or lauded or encouraged. This is my job. This is what I'm doing. We'll shake hands after, and then we're great. And so that was a lot of fun for me and an eye-opener for me. But as far as your question, this guy, Romy, checks every box. So good. That, that is an amazing story. Like, the manager is the manager, right? He's the guy. But the Hall of Famer is like, hey, man, don't effing touch me. Don't effing touch me. I don't need your encouragement, man. Be doing that. I'm out here doing my job. Not easy to go to the bump to take the ball from your Hall of Famer in a wild card game. And believe me, if that does blow up in his face, Dave Roberts is hammered, second guessed until the end of eternity. Idiots are calling me saying, fire him, fire him, fire him. Except it was the right call. So are you craving some protein after a good workout? I know I am. This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Tanner McKee is their quarterback. He joins us now. Tanner, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you, Tanner. So, as an example, you guys had your second win over a top 15 team in less than a month. Now you're getting ready for another top 25 opponent tomorrow night. So how is life right now for you and the rest of the team? What's the mood and the vibe like around the team? Things are going great. Um, Obviously, we know that we have a very difficult schedule. Um, We can't get too complacent with a win last week or... Um, a win previous, we just got to keep looking forward and keep chugging forward and keep executing as an offense, as a defense, to become the team that we want to be. We know that the end goal for us is not going to be within these um, one, two weeks, but we're going to have to keep winning to uh, reach our end goal. All right, so I want you to know that I'm hearing what you're saying. I heard you just say we have to keep looking forward. So having said that, I'm going to ask you to look back for a minute. Like, <laughs> I know you've already shifted your folks to Arizona State tomorrow night, but that game Saturday, you had number three Oregon coming to your house. You jump out to a 17-7 lead at halftime. They come storming back with 17 straight to take the lead. I'm curious, at that point in the game, what was going through your head? Uh, just come on and execute. Um, obviously, when uh, they started rolling, we, I tried to get the guys fired up, saying, we're in this game. We're going to win this game. And uh, we, we just kept going down. The defense did a great job giving us a, a last-chance opportunity at the end of the game, getting the ball back. Um, offense, I feel like, did a good job executing in that two-minute drill uh, and putting the ball in the end zone with no time left. All right, so you backed up exactly what you just said. You led the team on an 87-yard drive in the final two minutes. So you had so much going on within, though. There were two false starts early in the drive. You went from starting at your own 13 to having a second and 19 on your own four. How were you and the rest of the offense able to maintain that focus and start that drive, having to start it where you did start it? Yeah, um, obviously no excuses. Whatever it takes. Obviously it was not ideal. Um, We're going to have to fix that in the upcoming weeks. Um, but 
I mean, no matter how much we get backed up, if a bad play happens, we just got to keep looking forward and, and keep uh, keeping the goal in mind, which we need to just score a touchdown that drive. There's nothing else that um, that we could have done to tie the game or give us a chance of winning. Um, so, that, so that was the goal, just to score a touchdown, whatever it takes. Tanner McKee, my guest. Listen, Tanner, it's one thing to maintain your focus. Another to maintain your focus after taking the shot that you took from Kayvon Thibodeau. He was called for targeting. You had to leave the game briefly, and then you came back. How did you go about regaining your focus after taking that shot? Um, I just tried to t- treat it like normal. Um, Coach Shaw did a great job preparing us in practice in these high-intensity uh, situations, two-minute drills, things like that. Um, so going back into the game, I uh, just try to refocus my mind, thinking I've done this a hundred times in practice. We work it all the time. It's just it's just like practice. It's just like any other game. Um, so going into it, um, realizing it's a big situation and everything like that, but treating it like I've approached this many times before. Tanner McKee is joining us. Now, Tanner, your journey to me is really, really interesting. You're from Corona here in Southern California. You had opportunities to go to just about every school in the country. So I'm curious, what was it about Stanford that made you pick the Cardinal and made you feel like that was the right place and the right fit? Stanford was just the best uh, overall fit for me, um, obviously, academically. I didn't feel like there was any place that, that was better. Um, football-wise, I thought they run a great offense that prepares you for the NFL. The coaches are amazing. Uh, it's a winning program. Um, it's in California, so it's close to home. There were just so many things that, that really worked perfect for me. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was the best overall fit for me. Tanner McKee joining us. But, Tanner, there's so much more to this story, of course. You were in a position. The fact that you are now is incredible when you consider that when you were a sophomore in high school, there was a mole that was discovered on your forehead. It turned out to be melanoma. What do you remember about hearing that news and then the surgery to remove it as well as two lymph nodes? Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of an interesting story. I mean, I had a great-grandfather who passed away from melanoma, so we knew it ran in the family. My mom kind of noticed a suspicious mole on my forehead, so we went to the doctor and got a few moles biopsy. didn't really think it was a big deal. And then all of a sudden, uh, the test comes back positive for melanoma, and then Obviously, at the at the moment, I had no idea what that what that meant. So, um, just going in, doing the surgery and things like that went well. Doctors did a great job, um, and so now I'm I am totally 100 percent healthy, which is great. Dude, you are so even keel. I mean, that's got to be a pretty terrifying thing. And you get through that. You did what you had to do. There's more to this story, though. The story also goes that when you were eight years old, you decided that you were going to serve as a missionary. So after you signed with Stanford, you went to serve a mission in Brazil for two years. I'm really curious. What was the thought process that went into that decision? Um, I I think for me, I've kind of always planned on serving a mission. Um, My parents kind of taught me growing up that when you put, I mean, we're very religious, so uh, my thought process was when you put Heavenly Father first, He's going to take care of uh, all the other aspects of life. So that was kind of my way of uh, trying to show Him and everybody that I'm putting uh, what's first, first, and then football and academics and everything will follow will follow through. And so uh, it was a great experience for me. I got to live in Brazil for two years and serve people there and teach them about Jesus Christ and things like that. And I, it was, I thought it was an amazing opportunity for me to grow as a person. Tanner McKee joining us. All right, so you've got your priorities and you've got things lined up the right way, which is not to say, though, that your football and your career is not really important to you because it is. They are. So there are other quarterbacks who were really highly touted. They served a mission 
and then their college football careers did not necessarily work out the way they may have expected. Was that something that you considered? And if so, how did you process that and resolve that? I mean, I, I definitely knew that coming back from a mission is going to be difficult, getting back in shape, getting back playing football. It's obviously not easy taking two years completely off of football and then coming back and trying to get back. But I knew I was down for the opportunity and the challenge. So um, coming back from my mission, I was I was hungry to start playing football again, start training, get in shape and things like that. So I just kind of embraced the challenge with open arms and did what I could to prepare myself for um, the teammate and the player that I wanted to be and I wanted to uh, be for Stanford. Tanner McKee is joining me for a few more moments. So at one point, John Beck, who I spoke to this week, actually, John Beck is my guest on my podcast. I know that he came down to visit you in Brazil. What have you learned from him and the time you spent with him and what makes him so unique? Um, I, I think, I mean, obviously he's he, he's a great coach, but for me personally, he's kind of done uh, what I'm what I'm hoping to do in the future. He, like you said, he he served a mission in Portugal, so he actually speaks Portuguese, and so we spoke a little bit of Portuguese. Um, and then he served a mission, came back, was very successful in in college, and then had a career in the NFL. Um, and so I feel like me and him can relate really well um, on things on and off the field. I feel like he knows football very well. Um, talks about post snap rotation, what to expect different tendencies and things like that. So I feel like as an overall football player, I feel like he really helps me in that aspect. Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee, my guest. One last thought. Tanner, what about David Shaw? This is a big David Shaw house. I've talked to him for a number of years. I have immense respect for him as a head coach and also as a man. What's he been like to play for? Yeah, I I can't say enough good things about Coach Shaw. Um, He really is an amazing coach. Um, As far as a football coach, I don't feel like um, you can get a person that's more knowledgeable about the game, especially um, as a position at quarterback. Um, and then also off the field after practice when he brings us up, there's so many times where he gives us great life lessons after after football because he just has that perspective of things that are bigger in football. But kind of like what you are saying before, football is so important for us, for him and the team. Um, but it, we can also acknowledge that there are um, other things and to uh, being a person and, being a husband and father and things like that. So I, I just feel like he's very well-balanced and uh, really helps us in, in every aspect of life. I get that. I respect that. Hey, listen, I'm not doing my job if I don't ask you one quick question about Arizona State. You've got them tomorrow night. No rest for the weary. you got another tough challenge coming up. They're number 22. When you look at them on tape, you look at them defensively, what are your biggest concerns? What's your biggest area of focus? Um, obviously, they're a great defense. Um Statistically, I think they have the best defense in the Pac-12. Um, for us, I just think we have to go out and execute. have to win one-on-one matchups. Um, on film, they showed that they like to run a lot of man, and so we're just going to have to win those one-on-one matchups, um, hold our block, make a good throw, and, and make plays. That's, that's going to be our, our thing. We're just going to have to execute like the offense that we know that we can and put up big points, and then our defense is going to have to do their thing as well. Um, get stops, get good field position, and then we can just be the overall team that we want to be. He is a two-time Pac-12 freshman of the week, has passed for nearly 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions on the year. Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee, our guest. Tanner, I really appreciate you. I appreciate your story. I appreciate the time you spent with us, especially the day before a game. Thanks so much, Tanner. Good luck to you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Did you know a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? October is Fire Prevention Month, and we have teamed up with First Alert, 
the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your entire home with safety that you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. And having enough first alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do to protect your home and family. Install alarms on every level and in every bedroom of your home. Once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also remember, the alarms do not last forever and they do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced yours, it is best to replace the unit completely. And for a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time and discuss home safety with your family, plan and practice an escape route, and remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. Luke Fickle, Luke, it is so good to have you back. How are you? Great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Good to have you, Luke. Thanks for making time. Let me first ask you, I understand that the next game is always the most important game, but you're coming off a win over a top 10 Notre Dame team in South Bend. There's been so much talk that it was the biggest win in program history. Does it feel that way to you? You know, they asked me that after the game, and, and my initial response was, you got to ask the people that have been here a lot longer than me. And uh, I know it's probably one of the, or is the biggest win since we've been here, you know, to go on the road, to break their 26-game home winning streak and things like that. But, you know, it's hard for me to, to really be able to say that because there were some special things that were done here in the past. And, and uh, you know, but I know for us, there, there's no doubt that this was a huge hurdle for us to get over finally beating the top five or ten program in the country. No doubt about that, and I've heard you talk about that, the importance of beating a top-five program, a top-ten program. Thing is, too, it's not just that you won, but it's how you won. For instance, you were up 17 nothing in the first half, then Notre Dame gets back in the game. What did you make of the way your team responded to the pressure of the moment, the big stage, and the way they finished that game? I think that was the most impressive thing. We we feel like we haven't really put it all together. You know, we've played some some good halves and some, some good, uh, you know, quarters, but uh, for us to kind of be in that situation – to kind of be able to put it together there in the fourth quarter, you know, I kind of use the Desmond Ritter factor of having a leader and a quarterback and a guy like that, that, you know, is so calm, cool and collective. And he's best when it's at the toughest, most difficult times. And, and he really proved and showed that he, uh, that, that drive, he let him down and scored a touchdown when they had basically all the momentum and really kind of, you know, handled the third quarter there. Uh, you know, it was huge for, for us and the entire program. Look, you had to know that's where I was headed next, Desmond Ritter. He could have entered the draft after last season, but he decided to come back for another year. So what's that say about him, and then what does he mean to your program? Well, it's, it shows that uh, he, you know he's aware of the things that he wants to be able to do, and it's not just you know take the program to the next level. It was a lot of, you know, it was individual things as well. And, uh, you know, he's an intelligent kid that, uh, that realized, hey, if, this, if I continue to grow, there's a greater opportunity that I learned here this year it gives me a greater opportunity for the for the future, <clears throat> along with loving the, the program and his teammates and, and what it is that we've done here. I think that uh, we're very fortunate not just to have him, but to have an environment and a culture, you know, that these kids want to be here. They enjoy playing. They enjoy coming to games like this weekend and, you know, having a sellout crowd at night and, um, you know, those kinds of things. I know everybody wants to get off to the next level, but sometimes these things are, are really special and guys are intelligent enough to realize how special it is. You know, don't always just want to leave. 
Cincinnati head football coach Luke Fickle is my guest. I'm going to go back to your culture in a minute because I'm really fascinated by that. I want to ask you one more thing about Ritter. Like, for instance, after that win, he you talked about the fact that when you have somebody like that, not only do you have a chance in every single game, it's not so much even only about his ability, but also about his ability to make everybody around him better. It's not just that pure talent. Like, how much of an advantage is it that he's got that kind of thing, that intangible it, that makes everybody around him confident and raises everybody around him up? Well, just the uniqueness of the p- position, as we all know, the quarterback position. But that doesn't mean everybody has it. Um, and he does have that that factor that you know the confidence level that that he creates by being who he is you know as a guy that everybody on the program has seen you know battle through ups and downs it hasn't always been easy for him um, and then to have that you know that confidence that permeates throughout um, is something you can't buy and you you can try to manufacture it um, I've, I've seen it a few times in my coaching career but uh, we've definitely got a unique one in the sense that. That guy with that it factor is at that position that really has an opportunity to reach every single person uh, and really kind of control your program. So it's great to have a guy like that on that side of the ball, but you're trying to build something from the ground up. As an example, your offense coordinator, Mike Denbrook, said, quote, a couple of seasons ago, I don't know that we could have scored 40 points on air, but as we've built this thing, it's become the expectation, end of quote. I understand that. However, the defense has also become a powerhouse. How would you describe the way you've built this program on both sides of the ball? <clears throat> well, we like to say it's from the inside out, and it starts in the locker room, you know, and meaning that you've got to have a, you know, an environment that guys enjoy to, to really work. And, uh, you know, if you enjoy being around the people that you're around, I'm not saying they're your best, but if you enjoy being around them, you enjoy the work and the competition that you got. And then you really kind of, for us, we want to start with the big guys. You know, everything today becomes about, you know, big shots and touchdowns and, and you know, reading guys and, you know, arcing guys and the, the schematics of, of how, you, how you win, whether it's offensively or defensively. And we really have always said, hey, it's going to be about how you move people, how the offensive line can move people, how the defensive line can own the line of scrimmage. And uh, we've always kind of said, hey, we want, to, we want to focus on those guys. I know the quarterback's the most important position and everybody wants to see the ball thrown in the air. Um, but we want to see what we can do in, the, in those trenches, and, and that's where we try to say, hey, this program is all about the building of the O-line and D-line. Cincinnati head football coach Luke Fickle joining me for a few more moments. You know, something else that's really interesting to me in the way you built this thing, you said that the best defenses you had in Columbus were when you had, quote, one or two top-level dynamic first-round picks and then six to eight really good guys who maximized everything they've got. I find that very interesting. Can you lay that out for me? What makes that combination so powerful? Well, I, I just think that, you know, sometimes it's really, you know, the more the more – not saying just stars, but, you know, it's, it's hard to eliminate the human element. And, you know, when, when you've got those guys that maximize their potential, meaning, you know, they've got to play above their talent levels and things like that, they're, they're by nature workers, they're grinders. Um, they're by nature a little more <laughs> humble in the sense that it's a part of the program. When I say we're an offensive line, defensive line driven program, you know, that's not meaning that we only care about the O-line and D-line guys. But think about what O-line guys are made of. They're, they're, they don't get a whole lot of credit. They don't get a whole lot of fame. Their, neighbor, their names really rarely ever get recognized. And you want to be about that because it's so difficult, you know, with 11 guys and 22 guys. I mean, it's so difficult to be able to control those things, especially when you're having success. And, you know, when you by nature have got, you know, a couple of those, one alpha or two alphas, and everybody else is fighting to, you know, get everything that they got. I just by nature it creates – 
what I think is the great football teams and, and uh you know, there's a bit of humility in team um, that's first and foremost. I like that. So after the way the college football playoff selection committee treated you guys last year, it seems to me it would be pretty easy to say, you know what, we can't get a fair shot. And then you didn't get the ultimate result that you wanted against Georgia in the bowl game. I'm curious, how much did last season and those things set the stage for what you've done and can do this year? Well, I think it's it, it, in twofold. I mean, I think our kids, are, are uh, they've got confidence. But I think really kind of, you know, the situation of what it is, we, we try not to allow ourselves to be, you know, disappointed by the things that happen outside of our control. And regardless of what the situation was last year, we had an opportunity to play a bowl game, play against a top five, ten program in the country. Um, and, you know, you're not satisfied ever. But I think that just the recognition of how close we were to doing what we wanted to do, I think, was a motivating factor for, for, I know for me, but also for this entire program. And, I think maybe had something to do with some of the guys that wanted to come back for another year. They just felt like it was unfinished business. Um, they felt like we could grow and do even more things. And I think that was a huge kind of idea for us in the high tides was those guys just weren't satisfied with uh, with where we were and believed in where we could go. All right, so before I let you go, I said I wanted to circle back to culture. For instance, when you and I spoke back in 2018, you said something at that time that resonated with me about the passion to be a head coach and to take on this opportunity at Cincinnati. You said that when you were thinking about being a head coach again, you started asking different questions and researching different aspects, things like culture and development, as opposed to focusing on like defense. How much has the vision that you started developing at that time become a reality right now? Well, I, I really, I mean, I love, like I said, where our locker room is. And you don't always love where your team is. I mean, you know, there's been games we've played a half and we've played only two quarters well. And But I really do love where the locker room is. And, and, you know, to be honest, I mean, my son actually became a part of our team this year. And it was in big part because I wanted him not to be with me, but I wanted him to be in that locker room with every walk of life. Guys are truly trusted, respected, and loved one another. And that creates some things that are different. It creates an environment that guys love competing and working at what they do. And so to me, yes, it, it's ever, ever changing and you always got to be on it, but it's really, I think the, the, really the heartbeat of what our team is. I know there's a Desmond Ritter. I know there's a Mod Gardner. I know there's Mod J Sanders and big names, but the heartbeat is really the trust, respect, and love inside that locker room, the ability for those guys to really compete with each other and care for each other. So finally, since you mentioned that, I'm really curious. I'm, what's it like to have your son there? As an example, you know, way back in the day, Luke, I worked in my family business. I worked for my father and my mother, and I'd say, hey, yo, Pop, what's up? And my dad would be like, first of all, I'm not Pop. I'm not Pop at work. This is business. You call me by your first name. You're not going to be treated any better. In fact, I'll probably be tougher on you. What's it like to have your son there? And, I mean, are you dad or are you coach? I got to think you're coach. Pretty similar right there. I'd uh... – I think uh, I think he understood that when he walked in the door, and, and uh, you know, but it's great for me. I've never had an opportunity to be around my my son or even coach or you know a lot of my kids. Um, so just to be around to have that around is is something for me that uh, is completely different, um, and I enjoy it a lot. But yes, it's it is a. My wife will ask me, "So did you talk to your son today?" I'm like, "No, I don't get a whole lot of opportunities to talk to the freshmen, uh, especially when they're on the scout team. It's just it is what it is." And, um, but it's great to just know that, you know, he's in the place where you really want him to be. And I don't mean with me, like I said, but in that locker room, 
um, with those young men. That makes perfect sense. Cincinnati's 4-0. They're number five in the AP poll, and they've got a big one coming up tomorrow. They're at home against Temple. Their head coach is Luke Fickle. Luke, Luke, really good to get caught up with you once again. I appreciate the opportunity. Great to have you on the show, and thanks so much for making time for us. Always great. Appreciate you having me, and look forward to talking again. Hey, check this. From the very first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately was like, ah, this is incredible. This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I'm telling you, I never actually look forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair, and now I do. Fact. You tell me this. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Mine can because I've got an X chair. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. And it's all in the L Max Massage and Temperature Regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel that customized support of X chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never ever be happy in any other chair ever again. Take my advice try X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and get 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchairrome.com. Devin Singletary is my guest. Devin, it's really good to have you on. How are you? And I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, dude. Good. All right, so you're coming off a game where the team put up 199 yards on the ground in that big win over Houston. I want to start right there. Sean McDermott was talking about how pleased he was with the running game, especially given the elements and the conditions. How much pride do you guys take in the fact that you had that big of an impact on that game Sunday? Um, you know, we take pride in that. We take pride in everything that we do. You know, um, but, you know, the run game was one thing that we had to get going. So um, we just kind of keep on building off of what we're doing in the run game right now. You know, when you make that point, it kind of makes me think of this. The team did drop that first game of the year, but then you came right back in the second game. You broke off that 46-yard TD run on the first possession of the game. It opened the door for a 35-0 win over Miami. Like, how big was it to make a statement like that on the road in Miami early in that game? Um, you know, that was big for us, you know, to get rolling early, especially in the divisional game. Um, and we was able to do that. You know, the play worked just how we drew it up. Um, it don't get no better than how it went down. But um, like, like you said, it was big, especially because it was, um, you know, a divisional game. So that was big for us. Devin Singletary joining us. Not only big at that time, but that was explosive now. On that TD run, you were clocked at 20.29 miles per hour. How good did it feel to show the afterburners on that play? Um, you know, it, it, it's always a good feeling when you can get in the open field. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that's for anyone, you know, running the ball, catching the ball, when you can get in the open field and open up, and it's always a great feeling. You know what I wonder? Like, there's been a lot of talk in the offseason about the time you spent training with Nick Hicks in Florida. For instance, what kind of things were you guys working on, and then how much of a difference have you noticed on the field so far this year? Yeah, man, we was definitely working on speed. Um, did a whole bunch of sled work, a lot of beach work, um, and definitely working on our, on our mental more than anything. You know, a lot of the workouts kind of catered to working on your mental because, you know, the mental part of your game is big. And um, I feel like it's, it's working off. All that hard work I was putting in, is, you know, it's paying off right now. Um, right now, just keeping my head down and 
still working. But, right, so, um, I feel like it's paying off. Devin, I was going to say that Hicks said, quote, you completely dominated the offseason. He's so much faster. He's so much more explosive. That's his exact quote. Like, what drove you to attack the offseason and go as hard as you did? What motivated that? Um, just for, for one, the year before, you know, last year, um, it was, you know, the COVID year. Not being able to, to work out how I wanted to or be in the weight room, be with a trainer how I wanted to. Um, you know, I just wanted to come into year three um, as ready as possible, and I knew the, uh, that the off season was going to be big. So um, that's that's how I attacked it. Um, you know, went out and got out there every day, put in the work, and um, you know, now we're here. Devin Singletary joining us. All right, so now you're here. Let me ask you, if you're in your third year, it would stand a reason like you know the offense better, you know the league better, things are starting to slow down. If you combine the fact that things are starting to slow down, but you're getting faster and more explosive, what's that then feel like when you combine those two things? Oh, um, man, it's a great feeling, man. Just like you, you said a lot right there. Um, the game is definitely slowing down. Um, year three, just basically trying to put it all together, you know, all the – the lessons that I learned over the years and, and the experiences and, you know, what I know now and the work that I put in, just put it all together, you know, right now in year three. Um, and whichever way, you know, I can help the team win, that's what we're doing. Bill's running back, Devin Singletary, is my guest. So you've got that big game, a return to Kansas City, where the team lost the AFC Championship game. Devin, I got to think that you're going to tell me it's just the next game on the schedule. I mean, is it that or because of what happened at the end of last year, is there just a little bit more juice in a matchup like that? No, nah, man, I mean, that's just our mindset. You know, every week is a new week. Um, Every week we're trying to go 1-0, and um, and that, that's just how we're treating it, you know, trying to go 1-0 and this week. Um, We know KC, man. We know those, they're the big dogs, you know, and we know what they bring to the table, you know. So um, we just got to be ready, you know, on our A game. And um, on Sunday, you know, at 8-20, we got to be ready to go. All right, so I want to ask you about something. When it comes to motivation, like you've talked about the fact that two of your cousins, Courtney Brooks and Adrian Witte, could have had great NFL careers, but health, injuries, maybe some bad luck stopped them from being as great as they could have been. Let me ask you this. How good were they, and then what did you learn from watching them and the way their careers unfolded? Man, they, they were some of the best dudes, you know, to step on the field. Um, but I, I learned a lot of ball, you know, on both sides, offense and defense. You know, um, just how to carry myself on the field, next play mentality. Um, um, you know, when you're out there, um, you know, you're the best on the field. That's your mindset. And um, just bring it every day. Bring it day in and day out. You know what I'm saying? Bring that energy. Bring that juice. And, um, man, I, I, learned, I learned a lot of ball from them. Man, I could go on and on about what I learned. And I learned a lot of ball from those guys. I love that notion of, man, you got to bring that energy and that juice every single day, no matter what, no matter how you're feeling. I would imagine, yeah. and I don't know <laughs> I don't know them, but I would imagine, I mean, I know of them, but I don't know them. I would imagine they would give anything to be in your shoes. Does that then motivate you and encourage you to keep working no matter what, knowing what it would mean to yeah. them? More than you will ever know, definitely, man. That's, that's with them, and then that's just life, period. You know, it, it's... Some people, you know, that would give anything. Like you said, they would give anything to, to be in my shoes. So that alone is, is motivation. You know, you can't take this for – and you got to cherish every moment, you know, because, you know, what the NFL stands for, not for long. So you got to cherish every moment while you're here. And um, that's what I'm doing. 
Devin Singletary is my guest. I want to take this opportunity also to ask you about one of my favorite guys. This is a big Frank Gore house, man. I love Frank. I used to love to watch him play. I used to love talking to him. I still will talk to him. I think the dude's special. He, When he came on, Devin, he would talk about how special he thinks you are. What was it like to play with him, and what did you learn from Frank? Man, I love him. To this day, we still talk on everything. But, um... Just hard work, hard work and dedication. That's that's Frank Gore all the way. Um, first person in the building, last person out. You know, and details. Being on your details, I, I learned that from him. Always on your details, and man, just work, 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 work. If you, if I didn't learn anything else from Frank, it's just work, work, work. I learned that for sure. Devin, it's like it's almost like not everybody can agree on one thing, but anybody who knows anything about anything at all in that league agrees on one thing that like Frank is the guy like explain this you yeah. just said it NFL not for long you're in your third right. season you know how tough it is what's it say about this dude that he played 16 seasons and racked up 16,000 yards yeah man if, if you was to ask him how, how he did it his exact answer would be man just hard work dedication and taking care of your body you know with that you know only good things can happen all right, let me ask you this. Buffalo is one of my favorite towns. The fans there are some of the best in the league. You are a Florida guy, though. So what's it yeah. been like to live and work in Buffalo? Man, I've been loving it, man. I love Buffalo. You know, um, I'm from Florida, but I'm, I'm not from a big town. Um, my town is just a, a lot of hardworking people. The same thing up here. A lot of blue-collar, hardworking people, and they love them from football. <laughs> and, you know, that's how I grew up, you know, loving football. But um, I love Buffalo, and I, and I love I love Bills and Mafia. I love everything about the city, man. It's a good town, dude. It is a great place. And the Bills Mafia, man, they want it. They're hungry. They're tough. They want it badly. What would it mean to you to win a Super Bowl and bring the Lombardi to Buffalo and share it with the Bills Mafia? Man, man, it would mean a lot, man. It's, you know, it's been years coming. You know, if that takes place, you know, that's what we're working for. Um, but, man, it would mean a lot, man. And like you said, not just for me, for, for the city. You know, the, the joy that we all will have, uh, you know, will be one of the, the best in the history. It'll be something you'll never forget, man. So uh, if we could do that, that would be big. I got to say, like, they, they were there, obviously, when things were really, really good. But the, they were there when things were not so good. They're always there. They're always there. And now things are great again, man. You can feel the energy. It's an amazing thing. He's a running back for the Bills, coming off that big game over Houston, having a big season. They're 3-1. and one. They've got that showdown at Kansas City on Sunday. Devin, appreciate you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for closing this show for me today. I really do appreciate that. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate you for having me. Great. Dear Jim. Yes, you should have played that at your wedding. You and Janet could have crashed through a fake door, just like Herman, Mike, and Casey. We were talking about the other day. You know how wedding days are, right? Or better yet, you know about the build-up to wedding days? There's always going to be disagreements. Disagreements on how it should go. Now, the thing about Jano and I, I, I didn't want disagreements. In fact, I didn't have disagreements. And here's the, the really dirty little secret, because I didn't care. I'm like, this is going to be a great day, and I want you to have a great day. In fact, by the way, sweetheart, make every decision, and I'll write the check. How's that sound? 
Apparently, that was not good enough. You would think that, see, if it were anybody but Jano, or for a lot of people, that would work really well. Oh, I get to make every decision? Good. I'm like, yes, make every decision. I literally do not care. Just let me know when and where. And don't judge if I smash a martini or two before we actually go out there. And have an open bar. I didn't need the chocolate fountain that Alvin had. Alvy went with the chocolate fountain like it was the Golden Corral or something. That thing hit big, though, dude, Alvy. That was big. The only thing... Okay, that's not fair. I'm not being honest. I did actually have a couple of takes. The things that were critical to me for my wedding day were open bar, premium liquor. You got to understand... And I'm not trying to be a snob about this, and I'm not trying to rub this in anybody's face, but I've been busting my ass. I've been working really hard, and it was a smallish wedding, and we were getting pretty good bang for our buck. But the things that were extremely critical to me are the things that I remember about all the best weddings I've ever been to. And then, frankly, the things that were critical to me were also about those things that I remembered that I hated about weddings. And luckily, I had a little bit of freedom because I got married a little bit later and I had some money in the bank. I'd saved some money for it. What was critical to me was open bar, premium liquor, and a great band. I had gone to weddings with crappy DJs that were dry. And, you know, you got to respect it. I mean, some people are dry, and I do respect that. But you have to respect my take. It's not as fun. You all right? I'm not, I'm not in any way judging anybody at all. In fact, I respect it. In fact, I respect you more than I respect me for being dry. However, I just know the weddings that I had the most fun at had open bars and great bands. That's all I really had. That's all I cared about. And then we had a great time. But old Jano, no, 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 no. She's like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. It's going to be much better if you're a part of the process. So I want your input on everything. Okay. My input on everything is whatever you want you can have. Nope. We're going to the old lady's house again to look at flowers a third time. Yeah, but I fell asleep on her couch the first two times. Three strikes and you're out. Let's see. At Squirrel 2. Janet would have given you the Monsters theme as the first dance if that had happened. Jake would be named Tristan right now. Good point. Extremely good point. Actually, it's Logan, but good point. That would not have been a good trade. No offense if your name is Tristan. Eddie in Santa Paula tweets, The hell is wrong with kids? The hell is wrong with this kid? Tanner McKee? He has a great head on his shoulders, very religious, respectful, has his priorities straight. Now let's get back to Herb. I got you, Ed. Hard Rocks 24 tweets, I don't root either. Signed, Joe Buck's hair plugs. It's a bad take. Joe Buck's a pro, man. He's another guy that, like Joe Buck, the the internet, not even like Twitter. I think the entire internet just decided that guy, that guy. Let's get that guy. Uh, like Joe Buck, 
I know Joe a little bit. Joe and I used to own properties in the same development in Cabo. So I would see Joe. Joe's a pro, man. Dude, he is so good at what he does. I mean, a little a little eccentric in a good way. Different. But it's almost as if not even Twitter or social media, but like the entire internet decided that guy. Like whenever he shows up in front of any camera, anywhere to do any game, immediately he's trending. I'm here to tell you he is really good at what he does. Saltier 2021. I had an open bar at my wedding 20 years ago yesterday, and that bar tab was more than the rest of the wedding. Now, I, I get it. I understand that. I really do. I really do. I'll never forget. I've told you this story. I'll never forget that I was at a wedding, and the wedding sucked. And I'll catch hell for that when I get home, but I don't even care at this point. The wedding sucked. I was not happy to be at this wedding. I didn't want to be at this wedding. It was not my side of the family wedding. It just, it was not a good wedding. And I go to the bathroom and there are these three drunks from another wedding. And they're like, holy bleep, Van Smack, the hell are you doing here? I'm like, bro, the same thing as you guys, but having a much worse time and I'm much more sober and I'm down the hall. They're like, dude, dude. I mean, this is all going on like at a urinal. Dude, dude, come with us. Come with us. I'm like, you know, I probably should. Dude, you think you're better than us? And they're blasted. So I come in there and I go to this wedding and I'm like at the bar trying to have a drink with these guys because they literally dragged me physically in there. And then one of the groomsmen at that wedding looks at me and is like, man, you get the hell out of here. I'm like, hey, bro. This is the last place I want to be. He's like, no, man, I'm serious. You get the bleep out of here right now. Like, he wanted to go. Like, he thought I was crashing his wedding for free liquor. I'm like, oh, my God. This literally is the worst night of my life. I'm at a wedding I hate. I got dragged into another wedding that I want no part of. And homeboy wants to give me damn hands because he thinks I'm crashing his bar for his liquor. I'm like, bro. Meet Ben. What do you say you take Ben and get the hell out of my face, man? I'm not here to drink your liquor. And so I was already in a bad way. And Janet says to me, where have you been? I'm like, you don't even know, nor do you want to know. But I got a question for you. The hell are we leaving? When are we leaving? She's like, no time soon. I'm like, wow. We're getting off the train tracks here, aren't we? I got to get out. Ernesto in the ABQ. Ernesto, what's up? Thanks for the line, Van Smack. Just real quick, I'm a Cubbies fan, have been forever, but kudos to the Dodgers. And, you know, if they go into San Fran with a little bit of self-confidence and a little bit of swagger, and if they can, uh, with their depth, they can Dude, really... if they've got the confidence that your dog beat. has, they can't get beat. What kind of dog think, you got I, there, bro? I think they could beat the Giants. I do. I wonder what the flight deck has to think about that. I wonder what your dog has to think about that. Ernesto, hand the phone to the dog. Yeah, well, really. Haley, she's all pissed off because I'm not talking about the Cubbies. <laughs> anyway, that smack. Um, I'm sorry about the dog. Uh, she'll calm down here in a minute. Dude, what kind of dog is that? Day in what kind of dog is that, my man? It's a blue healer. 
purebred Australian cow dog. I love it. How old? And I got her uh, 10 years ago, Jim. I got, I got her. I ha- I'm an amputee. This is another thing. I have a beef yeah, yeah. with your bosses and the suits at CBS Sports Network. Talk I'm a below-the-knee amputee. I'm a dialysis patient. I, I, I have renal disease. I stay home a lot, and I love watching your show on the CBS Sports Network. But when they keep cutting into this rodeo and soccer, I get the soccer. No, I don't get the soccer. But the but the rodeo and the bull riding, and I'm wondering if the rates just go down the tube. And, you know, why just they need to carry your show the full length, not cut into it or cut out of it or cut the third hour or join up in the fourth hour or whatever. And they need to give you your due because you deserve it, Matt Smack. You have had a great run, and that's all I got. God bless you and uh, Lady Roman. God bless your little Romans. And, Jim, have a good day. My man, Ernesto Rackham. I appreciate you, bro. He said, God bless Lady Rome and God bless your little Romans. Let's go to Paul's dog. What's up, Paul's dog? Hey, hello, Rim Rome. Renato's dog. Don't wrap your tail in my face. Run the top dog of the jungle. You want to know why? Because Paul's dog nation has spoken. Half of you. Want to be Paul's dog? Another half of you want to give Paul's dog a walk? That's right. Right went third canine. Roar, my favorite palindrome. A dog, a panic, in a pagoda. Rough me, rum route. Rom route. Paul's dog is something else. Good night. 